0: Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, or Patamaru, and Hats on Lamps. So how's it going, Hats? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Patamaru? I'm doing pretty good myself, too. So it's episode 65, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. And since Hatz is always trying to uh, shimmy his way into this introduction more and more each week, uh, what are we talking about this week, Hatz? Uh, well, this week we're talking about the rares
1: uh, of Argent Depths, uh, the, the, the new set, Set 9, Argent Depths. We're talking about the rares, and we're ranking them by how soul-crushing they are when you see your opponent play one. Uh, and I chose this uh, topic for this week because uh, I think that uh, I think that this draft format... Has uh, more soul crushing rares than usual. I think it, it is a draft format that sometimes feels like it's defined by the strength of the rares that you can get in your deck. Um, and I wanted to, uh, to to give a little credit to that feeling uh, that we all get when our opponent gets a, a victory that feels a little bit unearned because they were able to tag one of these one of these uh, monumentally powerful cards.
0: Yeah. My only slight correction to that is I would have said we discussed and then came to the conclusion that we would talk about the rares this week. That's fair. I did I did posit the
1: idea of talking about the rares and you were enthusiastic about it. So I think that it is fair to say that we came to this together.
0: Yeah, okay, that's good. I'm, I I do something for this podcast every once in a while. <laughs>
1: Oh, all right, well, let's record that whole thing again. <laughs> I'm
0: not just in my up in my throne, giving the thumbs up or thumbs down to I think it would also be more fair to say that rather than me
1: trying to wheedle my way into the introduction, you asked me to write the third part of the introduction
0: and then and then surprised me by telling me that I'd be reading it. <laughs> <laughs> well, You were criticizing me for not having changed it from last week, so <laughs> we're, we're on the same side here. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of being on the same side, uh, hats. Uh, how was your draft week? My draft week was good. Uh, continuing with the theme of last week, where I'm only playing when I want to, uh,
1: I, I am I am still doing that. Uh, I'm playing when I'm in the mood for eternal. If I'm in the mood to play a game that's not eternal, I've got a long list of games that I'm kind of into right now, so I'll play one of those instead. Um, and it is reflected by having generally more successful drafts. So um, I wouldn't say that I'm winning like every draft or, or getting on long hot streaks right now, but uh, I'm winning some and, and, and losing relatively rarely and having a good time in general exploring the different possibilities of the draft format. I like it a lot more than when I started. When the draft format dropped, I I was just lost and sad. But now now doing pretty good. I uh, can't complain. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. I've been uh, flirting with uh, reaching masters for this past week, where I get to within one win and then lose a game, and then and, and no longer within one win. Ah, uh, the sublime excitement of the masters bubble. Yeah, but. uh um, yeah, it's kind of funny, especially listening back to last week's episode again um, with the editing um, is since last week. So last, last week I talked about how I had a seven win stone scar deck. Um, then I've managed to draft three more of those um, since then. And I, I, the deck that I had was in the middle of when we recorded last week, I had said I drafted a second one that also had three Dark Fires in it, and I immediately went 0-2. I I ended up going 6-3 with that deck. Oh, congratulations. And and, and then I drafted another um, triple Dark Fire deck, but I decided to be disciplined and try just two, and um, I went 6-3 with that also. Um, And then I drafted a... Then my current deck is a Stone Scar deck, but I kind of just ended up cutting all the shadow cards, and I'm just playing Mono Fire. So it could have been Stone Scar, but I'm just going with the Mono Fire deck mostly because how many Dark Fires does that one have? It has actually zero Dark Fires. Oh dear! but But it has two Prism Golems, so that's why I cut my shadow cards. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Um, just, just free 5-5 free five, five for 3 in draft
0: yeah <laughs> and then the other weird I'm not sure how the deck's going to do I have 3 of uh, the Flameheart patrols but I was because I went late into Mono Fire. I'm like a little light so I'm ending up playing um, I think I have 19 f- power end etchings in the deck so I was like slightly short on playables but it still felt worth it to play all the fire. But I have all of these like good surge cards and I have like about four plunder cards. So
1: you can convert sigils into treasure troves.
0: Sure. Yeah. That, that's
1: my, that's my thinking. So have you played any games with this deck yet?
0: Yes. I've played two and I, I won the first one um, quite easily. And then the second one, my opponent, played multiple lifesteal units which ended up being difficult to <laughs> yeah. to push through. They they played uh they were not quite mono justice, but they played the the two two Aegis surge guy um unto, surged it, and then turn three played the imbue lifesteal uncommon. Yeah. Um yeah the green green something patrol. Yeah, which was so officer. that was like a five-five life steal, and then they played more life steal after that. And uh, greenstone officer, yeah, that's that's the way mono green gets you.
1: Yeah, it plays bigger. It, it plays bigger units than you, and then gives them life steal. Yeah,
0: but I, I I was definitely losing the game almost the whole game, but the deck ended up having like a surprising amount of resilience that I never felt out of it. Um. So that so that that gives me high hopes for the deck, but speaking of all the dark fires, kind of like I felt like maybe I was because st- we did you know I talked about dark fire last week, but I had more thoughts about dark fire, um, and I I felt like we downplayed the like contr- the controlling aspect of it. And not necessarily just to kill units, but the fact, or we downplayed the fact that it gave lifesteal. We we kind of talked about it like uh, a, uh, in Magic, like a lava axe, where you just do like five, six damage at the end of the game to like, you know, dome your opponent and kill them for the final blow. But I ended up using it quite a lot, just like as the, to swing a race where you're you and your opponent are racing and then they think they have you and then all of a sudden you have like five to eight life more and even if you're not using that to clear a blocker even if that ends up just going face like that can just be enough for you to like win in the next couple turns and so I was using it quite a lot like that and I've been really enjoying the stone scar decks it turns out that you know, a a few dark fires and a few. Oh jeez, why do I always forget the eight one? <laughs> this is Inferno salad. Inferno salad. I don't understand why I've re- I've drafted
1: so many. It's of that. been it's been what three sets with Inferno salad at this point. <laughs> I know.
0: And <laughs> my last three jobs have all had three of them in it.
1: No, no, it's only been two sets. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure.
0: Am I wrong about that? It was last set, right? Cause yeah, it, it was last set. Yeah, It has yeah. pledge,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, I shouldn't have said anything, because I don't remember how long ago we've, we we first saw Inferno Zealot. I think it's just one set ago.
0: Yeah, oh, because the pledge mechanic was in the, the three-faction set, which I think was last set. Right, but they've added other pledge cards since then. Have they? Oh, wait. Oh, never mind. No. Oh, I don't know. Ugh. It was in set five. Um, oh, God. Now we're going to get yelled at by Spiffy Man. Well, not if we don't put this in the <laughs> episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was last set. It was Echoes of
0: Eternity. Okay, Echoes... What's, what's set five called? Set Defines five... Was set four. Set five was... Uh was Defiance. Oh, Defiance is? Oh, Fall of Argent was set for. Okay, Defiance is set by. Yeah. yeah. So that was the other pledge set. Okay. Um and uh, Yeah. I think right. I, I, I meant I wanted to say this on Discord. This is a slightly off topic. But I think the fact that they do the campaigns and they just like give campaigns like set names is what Makes it so hard for me to talk about the sets by set name. Yeah,
1: it's a little easier for me because I play so little constructed that the campaigns hardly ever re- enter my radar. Like I, I tend to, I tend to get them anyway, just so that I don't have to think too hard about about copying decks off of Eternal Warcry. Uh, yeah. But. uh but I don't draft the uh, the cards from the campaign, so they don't feel like they're really part of a set to me.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I guess for me, because the draft well, this happened less the last set, but it used to be since the campaign would come out halfway through the draft format, and then they would it would change everything. Sure, sure. So that was the big change. So in my mind, I would just kind of think about like the second half of the draft format. By the campaign, and then by the end of the campaign, <clears throat> or then by the end of it, I couldn't remember whether that was the campaign name or the set name anymore. Right. Okay. Anyway, yeah, anyway, that you know, that, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the point being that with a couple Darkfire, a couple um, Inferno Zealots, and then one of the Weavers, uh-huh. you just like have yourself a deck. Sure. You don't even have to be that
1: fast because you're gaining life at the same time that you're doing damage, so you don't have to race in the traditional sense. Yes. Um, so you can end I up with, like,
0: a... I was going to say, especially with the Spirit Weaver giving your units life steal, like, that changes the You can, like, you can do whatever you want, really. It's a little different with Might Weaver. I feel like Might Weaver is a little bit more... Like all-in. Yeah. Um, my but I...
1: experience with Mightweaver was actually in a Rakano deck that had a bunch of uh, combat tricks. Mm-hmm. And and I would go for the kill in nearly every game by attacking wide with like two, one or two more units than my opponent had blockers, and then just putting the combat trick on whatever wasn't blocked, and I had a Mightweaver, so that unit would just do enough damage to kill them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I've been playing with especially because I've been drafting like this these like spirit weaver versions of the deck, sort of playing them like combo con- control is the, probably the wrong term, but like you can play it like a little bit more controlling and like trade off and stuff. And then because you have you, like you don't have to play just like as an aggro deck and then when you have the kill Kind of just like go for the kill with the deck, you know, right. because you have all of this lifestyle to like keep you alive, and then all of a sudden you'll just like accrue enough like inferno zealots or whatever, and then a a dark fire, and you can just like kill your opponent out of nowhere, so
1: Ugh. well, it doesn't sound like much fun to play against, but uh it is it's a legit uh strategy
0: <laughs> anyway i've been
1: I don't know, i've been enjoying the deck um yeah, sure well i'll have to keep an eye out if we ever if we match up on the ladder to to not let you kill me out of nowhere <laughs> yeah.
0: You did, yeah i mean you were when i i well, i didn't mention i didn't complain about it last episode but you were one of my losses and when i started oh two with that second
1: oh really oh i didn't realize yeah yeah i wish i could tell you that i remember exactly what happened in that game but <laughs>
0: I play I play too much Eternal. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I've already blocked it from my memory. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, we'll move on to thanking our patrons over at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. Um, for as little as a dollar a month, uh, you can get access to show notes. And that's about it, because uh, I've been including all the bloopers just in the show now to save time in editing. Um, but we do still appreciate you. Even without any perks.
1: It does uh, keep us it does keep us going. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that people appreciate what we what we do and being reminded about that every month, it's nice.
0: Yeah, it's great. So uh thank you to Stephen R, Mercurial Blue, Abinago, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmley, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hacks, Cassendreth, Jed the Homerit, Raven Dragon, S Rid Zero Two One Five, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, in Yes out You guys are great. Yeah, we like you better than other people. Yes. Um, and then on to card of the week. Oh,
1: yes, card of the week. Uh, my card of the week is Siphoner Paladin. Um, Siphoner Paladin is a, is a unit. It's a 1-5. It costs 3 justice-justice. Uh, it is a Paladin. And it says, uh, on Summon... You may sacrifice another unit to play a 3-3 Relic Weapon or give your current Relic Weapon plus 3 plus 3. And I just wanted to highlight this card, not for any, like, special reason, not because it's controversial or anything, but just because it's different. Uh, I think the word is out that it is a good card. It might be uh, Justice's best common in a group of very good commons, and... Uh, I don't think we've ever seen anything exactly like it, where you can just trade in a unit for a relic weapon. Uh, you don't even have to like summon the relic weapon separately. It's just um, you get to immediately attack with it. Um, and uh, uh, Direwolf made Siphoner Paladin feel good to play by making a lot of a lot of highly sacrificable two drops. Uh, and putting them in the curated draft packs. Copper Hall Porter is a big one. I think if they hadn't made Copper Hall Porter like a 10 times, uh, a 10 times boosted common in the draft packs, that Siphoner Paladin wouldn't be quite as insane as it is. Um, that's the two one for two that, uh, that, that fetches a Justice Sigil from your deck when it dies. Uh, such a great thing to sacrifice with Siphoner Paladin. Um, and then there's like Silverwing. Uh, that's the that's the that's the one one flyer with Revenge. That's another great thing to sacrifice. There's a lot of stuff like that. Uh, the the cleric that silences uh, opposing units when it dies is my favorite thing from Argent Depths to sacrifice with sidehunter Paladin because sometimes you can take out a couple of things with that move. Um, and also if you're do if you're doing it on turn three. Uh, often you get to kill a two-three or a two-two, and then the, then you can end up killing two things with your relic weapon. It's a lot of value. It's an aggressive play. Siphoner Paladin itself is a one-five, so it uh, essentially blocks anything that tries to kill the relic weapon by attacking back. Um, it's just a real interesting and powerful card. Uh, and then there's the the second part of it, which where you give your current relic weapon plus three plus three. Uh, that promotes some interesting decisions because sometimes it's correct to play, if you have a Relic Weapon and a Siphoner Paladin in your hand, to play the Relic Weapon first, kill something, and then make it grow the next turn to kill an even larger target. Sometimes it's correct to just uh, to just kill something big with a Relic Weapon that you have in hand uh, and make a new 3-3 with a Siphoner Paladin on another turn. Sometimes you've got a Siphoner Paladin in hand and nothing on the board, and you've got to decide whether to just make a naked 1-5, if that's good enough um there there's a lot of decisions that go into it sometimes it can feel a little bit too good uh especially when you're on the receiving end of it it's like well why did i even bother playing a two drop if it's just gonna get eaten alive <laughs> why do i why do i bother playing this game at all if my opponent is gonna have infinite siphon or paladins uh it sometimes feels like that but um I think the uniqueness of it, the fact that they made a common that we just never saw before and and made it playable and interesting and good, uh, is just sort of worthy of calling attention to. So that's what I did.
0: Yeah. Any thoughts? <laughs> no, no I, have, I have no thoughts about Siphon or Paladin, really. I mean, it's just like a very good card. Yeah. Um, it's good, but it's not
1: just good in a raw power way. It's good in a sort of a, a way that promotes... A few decisions. I mean, it's not the hugest decision in the world to play a two-drop that wants to be sacrificed and then a siphoner paladin, but that you don't always get to do that. Sometimes you have to make choices.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it is good in a raw power level, but it also has many interesting choices.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which
0: is good. Yeah. So, can you imagine a world where you go turn three siphoner paladin, get a three-three weapon, and then you? Turn 4 Siphoner Paladin and make that a 6-6 weapon?
1: I mean, I don't have to imagine too hard. I've done that in this format a few times. Yeah. Yeah, you sacrifice the previous Siphoner Paladin to the new one. Yeah. Yeah. That's often pretty good, because then... Like usually your opponents play, usually what that means is that you you hit so, like a two two with the first one, and now yeah. you have a three one relic weapon. and then the next turn you sacrifice, and then now you have a six four relic weapon because you make your three one get plus three plus three, and maybe you kill something else, like a three three. Now you've got a six one weapon. This is a reasonable series of events. Now your opponent probably isn't gonna play their biggest thing uh like they're not gonna play a 5-5 at that point and get it eaten for free they're gonna litter the board with smaller units so that you have to use your your weapon on one of them but then still those smaller units have to be able to break through the siphoner paladin that's on the board and so it's difficult for them um but like it doesn't that play doesn't end the game by itself it's just very strong like, right. Because you're not ending up with it doesn't heal the relic weapon to full health, you know. If it like was like, hey, give the relic weapon all of its original armor back and give it plus three plus three, that would be too good. But because it's eroding every time you kill something with it, then uh, it, it's just a very strong play without being a completely ridiculous one.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's what I was wondering whether it's like you, you, too much of a tempo or card disadvantage to be like sacrificing to just like grow your weapon bigger to kill theoretical bigger units without actually.
1: Yeah. You're, you're preventing your opponent from playing really big units that they don't want to get killed, but usually they have the option to play something else rather than sacrifice their large unit at that point. So it's so often just using up your three, three, your originally three, three relic weapon and then making the other siphon or paladin to refresh yourself with a three three sometimes that's better
0: Mm -hmm. okay so my card of the week is a corrosive dagger which is the three fire one one weapon with decay and then summon play a one one rustling with decay for every two fire influence you have Mm -hmm. and the reason i kind of chose this week card is um i kind of am wondering if i'm overvaluing this card a little bit i kept talking it up last week and the other thing is, because um, I had a ton of shift zone and I haven't been playing much constructed, I, um, I haven't been uh, dusting any of my cards, nor have I opened any um, Argent Depths packs outside of draft. So I know how many of every card I've drafted,
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you're wondering uh, why you
0: have sixty-seven corrosive daggers? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't drafted quite that much. But it is my highest drafted card. Okay. Yeah. Um, followed by um the the worm the the draw to worm, mm-hmm. followed by Flame Heart Patrol, and then the fire symbol. So uh Yeah. So so fire is the overriding theme in, in my uh, drafting so far, it seems. I see that. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I, th- I know Corrosive Dagger is potentially very strong. Um, I I certainly don't value it that high. I tend to start valuing it very high if I know I'm going to be mono fire, which happens rarely, or if I'm going to be a fire dominant deck, which for me, again, happens fairly rarely.
0: Yeah. I guess for me I've been not that I'm like first picking it but like I think I'm viewing it as too strong of a sign <laughs> that fires open so when I see one like 6 you know 6 through 6 or 7th pick I'm like sweet people are so stupid this card's so good uh-huh <laughs> Here I go <laughs> and then I just start taking all the fire cards and um uh, it actually hasn't done that much work. I like <laughs> in any of these like stone scar decks that I've had. Like it's been okay, but it hasn't been great, which is making me like sort of reevaluate um, my opinion. It kind of works well in like what I was talking about earlier with these like slightly more contr- controlling um, light steely five attack matters because it. Um, They're just, like, defensive bodies to block, and they're kind of annoying for your opponent to attack you with as you're just, like, sort of trying to stay alive to get enough power to be, like, start playing all of your big units and spells. And, um, but but other than that, I don't know. I think this is, like, a, a thing where it's, like, powerful, but it's too... Too limiting once you start picking them as highly as I've been picking them, and uh, yeah, because their value
1: does go way up or way down depending on how how much fire influence you're going to be playing.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Because it's a huge difference just making one rustling as opposed to like two rustlings. I know it doesn't seem like it should be that big a difference, but it does feel like a big
0: difference, right? But what, what I guess what tricks me with this card. Is like when I just think about it, but if you play one rustling with this weapon, it's not actually that bad. It's like not that bad of a floor, is you know? Because yeah. you're you're only giving a unit plus one plus one, but like decay is a very powerful keyword. So you're like you're you're upgrading that unit substantially more than just plus one plus one, and then you get like a bonus. 1-1 rustling onto it. And so, like, when I think about it that way, I'm like, no, actually, this is just, like, a pretty good card.
1: Yeah. No, it is a pretty good card. Yeah. I don't then, know ex- exactly how powerful it is. Like, uh, So I'm not really that surprised when I see them 5th or 6th, and it doesn't make me go into the color like it's a signal uh, at, at this point. Uh, but at the beginning of the format... When I saw a corrosive dagger, I would really push for fire hard, and I just wasn't having very good results doing that, because the corrosive dagger wasn't, didn't turn out to be a signal, and I would be cut on
0: fire after that. And right. so then I kind of
1: stopped doing it.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that's been happening a, a little bit to me. I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to highlight uh, the fact that I've drafted this so much, I guess. Yeah. Well, it is a neat card
1: because it is one of the few ways of giving decay to a unit that doesn't otherwise have it. I think it's this and Hunting Allosaur, and that's about it.
0: And there's that. There's also the. I guess it's a rare, but there's the the one cost rare that gives a unit plus two plus one in charge and yeah. decay for the turn.
1: Yeah, that happens too for sure. Um, but among commons, yeah,
0: you're, you're right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I mentioned it and then remembered that it was a rare, but...
1: (laughs) It doesn't feel like it should be a rare, but it's not the only text on the card, is it? We'll mention that card later. It's on the
0: list. All right, so we'll move on to the 7-win run breakdown. (laughs) This is our long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners mail us their 7-win drafts to farmingeternal at gmail.com, or you can post them in the 7-win channel in our Discord. Uh, either an exported deck list or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we compile all of this, put it in a spreadsheet, and talk about it here in uh, this here segment, as well as read all the names of those who contributed this week. Uh, all thanks to John Holio, who actually does all the, the entry. So we had 50 decks this week. So our new contributors are Anthony N., Bravo Choke, and Julian. As well as our veteran contributors, Abednego, Agent Dynamo, Beard Broken, Darth Herman 2, Dubes, Full Robot, Handyman, Hats on Lamps, Iplong Ip No, Meagles, Mercurio Blue, Mossy the Pirate, Nothership, Old Rich, Out on a Limb, Shab, Smiley Z, SSJ1997, Steve Irwin, Titus and Blossom, Twin Hexen, Zubi. So thank you again for sending in these decks. Not much new to say, um, except uh, the trends continue. Uh, fire fire, Justice, sort of just Rakano in general, had a little bit of an uptick this week where we got a bunch of Rakano decks. Um, and so time went down a little bit, but it's still right up there. And Primal and Shadow have not had a surge yet, so they're still sort of... Hovering right around uh, 20 25 percent.
1: Yeah, I had a I had a good film deck um, just yesterday, but I only went six three with it, so I couldn't post it. Yeah, stuff to it's hard to make it work. You know what's a what what's weird about this format is I feel like when I draft a certain faction combination, mm-hmm. I will play against that faction combination more often than i normally would like mm-hmm. like i never play against film but i played against film like like in half my games when i drafted a film deck i'm sure it's just some sort of confirmation bias but it seems to be happening over and over again oh
0: <laughs> uh, that's well actually you know it's funny because we talked about all of these um you know we talked about these same stats last week and i was and we Talk, well, we talked about how Felm wasn't doing well. And then this week, I played against a surprising number of Felm decks also.
1: Huh. Well, maybe just everybody uh, like got to the point where they're like, ah, I just got to make Felm work. Or maybe because Felm was starting to get so underdrafted that people started getting pulled back into it.
0: Yeah. That's probably and the
1: I, rational explanation.
0: And my, and my opponents were all like high masters players, so yeah. I... I feel like that could just be it. They were like... I mean, you have to be able to do something with all of these Primal cards, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's good ones. Yeah. (laughs) There are some good ones. Um, Yeah, so that's all I kind of wanted to say about that this week. And we have a long main topic, so we should get right into it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's long, but there's not that much to say about each item on the list. But, yeah, let's get into it. Uh,
0: So... I get, yeah, oh. Hats texted me, or messaged me, and he's like, hey, happy coincidence, there's only 25 cards that I want to talk about. I was like, it's a,
1: it's a happy.
0: Who's so happy, happy about that? I'm, I'm happy. happy.
1: <laughs> it's such a round number. You know what it is. Uh, it's, it's a square. The square root of it is
0: five. <laughs> yeah, so that's a much happier. That number would make it. It's happy. <laughs>
1: Oh boy, numbers are fun. All right, so uh, so what this list is, uh, I, like I said at the top, uh, I just sort of wanted to, uh, I just sort of wanted to reflect uh, how this format feels like it has a lot of bomb rares that really take over the game, and and it feels it feels real bad when you get crushed by one of them, and it feels real good when you have them. Uh, and I don't, th- I think this is more true than it has been for the last couple of formats. I'm sure there were some bombs. In the last couple of formats, but I don't know. Most of them didn't feel quite as it didn't feel quite as hopeless going up against most of them. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to give some. Uh, I just wanted to give them their due uh, and also rank them uh, so that in in the order of soul crushingness. So 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 the other thing here is that uh, I guess together we've kind of decided that Desert Alchemist is is the best of the uncommons. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I think that's what we decided.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I guess I guess the other one was Curtain Call, which, to be fair, is a really terrific card. Um, even if you can't make all of your units indestructible, it still gives plus two strength and lifesteal to two of your units in the middle of combat. It's a very, very powerful card. But I feel like, on the whole, Desert Alchemist just does so much... Uh, and that's the 2-1 with Ambush and Deadly for 2 time. It also has Plunder. Uh, that's all it does. Uh, it ambushes a big thing and kills it, or you play it when you need to Plunder and, and get more Sigils or draw a card or whatever. Um, uh, I, I take I take it first pick pretty often. Um, so, so we'll also, uh, unless we get real tired of it, mention whether, whether the rares on this list... Uh, are cards that we would take over Desert Alchemist. Pack one, pick one. So that'll be the strategy part of this.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and the reason we kind of are splitting it up in two ways is, like, some of these cards, like, especially in this format, like, some of the rares are really powerful. And so, but but are hard to cast. And so there is a difference between, like, how bad it feels when your opponent plays it on the battlefield and how hard it is to deal with. As compared to while you're in the drafting process, like you're also weighing the fact, like how likely are you to actually be able to play this? And so that's why there is a difference between sort of how powerful a rare is and how how highly you should draft it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's get let's let's do it. Let's start at number twenty-five. Number twenty-five, Maveloft Huntress. Uh, Wait, we're going and... we're
0: going backwards.
1: Yeah, yeah. So to keep number one as the the biggest and best one.
0: Oh man okay well you know, i know i you wrote it in the opposite order i'm sorry
1: i wrote it in the opposite order because <laughs> i can only count from one to 25 when i'm putting things in an order but when i'm talking about them i can only go backwards <laughs> so you're gonna have to scroll down
0: okay i scrolled i scrolled great great pages. Right, right, right. And so pages.
1: Maveloft, Maveloft huntress uh it's uh two primal primal for a two one with killer imbue uh, and plunder, uh, so Maveloft Huntress is not a card that makes me super depressed if someone plays it against me. Fair play, I say. You've got a you've got a fun little uh rare that 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 uh, is basically a removal card, but sometimes can be a lot better than that. Um, this is a card that I would definitely take above Desert Alchemist because it does a lot of what Desert Alchemist does: kills something, plunders, but. Uh, also can stick around and be an absolutely gigantic unit depending on what you imbue. Um, so uh, so it's at the bottom of this list uh, uh, because I wanted to acknowledge that it does feel like you've probably lost the game if your opponent Mabeloft Huntresses you, uh, especially if they imbue something like a Caravan Guard uh, and get like a 5-6 Huntress or something like that. But um, but also, you, it usually feels like you can come back from it. it. They killed your best unit that you currently have on the board, uh, but you can do all of the things that are effective counterplay against Imbue, such as kill the original unit, um, and then all, all they've got is a 2-1. Uh, but the fact that it plunders sets them up for their future turns, too. So it's a strong card.
0: Yeah, yeah this is actually an interesting one to start with, with how weirdly similar it is to desert alchemist um yeah it is um desert alchemist is easier to summon uh yeah and i think desert alchemist has a higher floor i guess that's true yeah because you're definitely killing someone something with desert alchemist While if you're really far behind maveloft huntress might not do anything but it does deal with flyers, which Desert Alchemist doesn't. Yes.
1: And also it is not as reactive a card. Like Desert Alchemist does have to ambush something, whereas Huntress is a lot more proactive. Yeah. Like you if you 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 get to kill the thing of your choice, whereas Desert Alchemist does have to wait for something to blunder into it. Yes. No question yeah, no, good cards, but I would just take Huntress a little above Alchemist. Okay.
0: And I think Also, the the other consideration that I was thinking about is the fact that Mabel of Tuntress is primal Mm -hmm. um, as compared to Time, uh, Time being a a well-known great color. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was wondering, I know you've been playing more primal decks, so maybe the fact that this is primal doesn't sway you as much as it might work. No,
1: not at all. And that's because I've just had so much success with Skycrag, specifically. Like, when mm-hmm. I draft Skycrag, I'm probably going to do pretty well, um, just because I'm sort of comfortable with it. Right. And, okay. and, and Huntress goes in a Skycrag deck just just very very smoothly.
0: Yeah. All right, so shall we move on to 24?
1: 24, Massive greatsword. This is a 7-justice-justice-7-7 seven seven, seven relic weapon, and that's it. It does have text on it that's almost irrelevant in draft. It says Massive Greatsword can't be killed except by reaching zero armor. But there's so little attachment or relic removal that that normally doesn't have much bearing on the on the proceedings. It's a 7-7 seven, seven, relic weapon for seven. Uh, that doesn't sound like anything special except that uh, Combray, the ramp-faction combination, has uh very little to ramp to um the and justice especially doesn't have a lot of seven or eight drops uh except in the rare category so this is it this is what you're going to and the massive great sword can kill two or three units and probably end the game so when i see a massive great for, great sword on the other side of the table i often think well that was this is it <laughs> that's it for me <laughs> like that was the trump card after the back and forth that we've been doing up until my opponent had seven power um and now i'm gonna lose a couple of my units and probably not gonna be able to come back from that so so well done opponent on having something to ramp to
0: <laughs> so okay so do you take this above desert alchemist i do
1: take it above desert alchemist probably yeah yeah okay. I- I know that this is not as cl- a super clear choice between those two, uh, mm-hmm. but I do think that Justice is the best is the best faction in this format. Yeah. And the fact that you kind of sometimes will peter out of stuff to do by the time you get to seven power, if you're in a Justice deck, means that this gives you reach in your. I guess reach is the wrong word. It gives you um, a top end that otherwise you just wouldn't have in your in your Justice deck.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, okay. And then the other sort of tangentially related question I had is speaking of relic removal, mm-hmm. do you think there's any reason to ever run Ruin in your deck in this format? In this format, no, I think it's dead too often. There's yeah. so many there's so
1: many matches where there's no target at all.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's kind of interesting that they put this text on a weapon in this format as compared to last format. I feel like this weapon would have been really interesting.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it would be a way around the main deck disjunctions that everybody was running, but not not now. Uh, this is th- that's text for constructed, you know. Like, yeah. Cuz relic I mean this can't this thing can't be cat- catted, I guess. What do you say when <laughs> when the cat that kills attachments comes down? Uh well, uh, whatever. It can't.
0: It's, it's cat-proof. Yes. Okay. All right, so 23.
1: 23, Lord Ragnar. Lord Ragnar, which has the best name, by the way. Uh, you really expect Lord Ragnar to be able to punch hard, <laughs> and he does. Uh, Lord Ragnar is a 6-fire-fire, 7-5 fire, with quick draw. Yes, text two, which is usually irrelevant. Uh, his summon ability is if any of your units or relics have used their ultimate abilities, they get those effects again. There's not a lot of ultimate abilities in this format, uh, not very many at all. Uh, I think the most relevant ones are probably Rust Machine, which is an uncommon. Uh, if you've already activated Rust Machine and uh, and gotten your two Grenadines with Decay, you would get another two if you make a Lord Ragnar. Another one that I've seen happen is Grave Watch Ancestor uh grave watch ancestor gets real big when you pay se- uh, six power and uh lord ragnar makes that happen again uh, it's a little bit of overkill though usually you don't need to activate a grave watch ancestor twice <laughs> but uh it would happen here anyway uh the point is that lord ragnar is a seven five with quick draw and it's incredibly hard to deal with him once he's down that's uh <laughs> That's really why he's on the list, is once you see him, you've got to have direct removal for him. Uh, Gun down's not going to work, because he has Quick Drop. It's almost a bad joke, because Gundown would be the perfect card to deal with him. It does 5 damage, he has 5 health, but it specifically says on Gundown, does not kill Lord Ragnar. <laughs> hey,
0: I have a specific question about having never played Lord Ragnar. Yeah. It's summon ability. It just yeah. refreshes the ability, or no, or no. Does... It makes
1: it happen when you play him. Yeah. So if you have a rust machine that has already activated and made two two granite, uh two rustlings. Mm -hmm. ragnar makes two more rustlings it activates the ability again if you have a grave watch ancestor that is now like a seven eight because it gets a plus five like ragnar makes it grow again immediately when you make him so that's cool it is it is cool it would be even cooler if i if there were any
0: (laughs) if there were any ultimate abilities I, i passed this card once because i was like Oh, that's an interesting ability. And then I searched for ultimate abilities in this draft format. And I was like, oh, that is never triggering. Yeah, it's
1: just never triggering. Yeah, it's uh, I'm entirely including him because he's a very difficult thing to deal with in combat. There's there's plenty of big fire, uh, a big fire units. And there's a, a sometimes fire units that have quick draw, but rarely are they printed on the same card. Yeah, uh, that's what makes that's what makes Ragnar
0: special. Yeah. I mean, the the common one is a uh, 5 cost for 3 one quick draw, so. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: yeah, it's usually you don't you don't combine those two things on some massive body like you you do here. Uh so that's why he's a rare and that's why he's he's a good top end for aggressive fire decks, or really mm-hmm. any fire deck cuz just eventually something's going to have to I mean, he just eats blockers until he gets through, basically, un- unless you have some kind of removal for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, though he's, like, a, a I think, a very fair finisher. You know, like, the, he he's not taking, you know, I mean, he'll win the game, but he's not swinging the tides into anyone's fear. Oh, no, no. He's just a big,
1: effective attacker. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's... There's nothing special about Lord Ragnar, uh, but he feels special. Like when you have him down on the table, you're like, oh, "I'm going to win unless they do something about him." So that's why he's that's why he's on the list at all. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. it's actually number twenty-two.
1: Number twenty-two. I don't know how to say her name, but uh, let's call let's let's call her Syl Syl Cabal Strongarm. Uh, two fire shadow 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 for a five-one with decay. When one of your units with five strength or more dies, you play a 1-1 Vampire Bat with Flying and Lifesteal. You'll probably be able to tell me uh, more about this card than I will because you played played Scar more than I have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I only had one of these in my deck, the sort of the deck we talked about last week. And I actually think I would switch... I would prefer Lord Ragnar over this card, but I don't know if that's correct or not. I don't not. know either. You know, because... Like, the one toughness gets me. And then the fact that it's, like, it has an ability that's relevant in that there is a five attack theme in this set. But it, it's not doing that that much, you know? Um, and so it's... I guess I can't tell if I'm, like, down on this card because... It's ability feels kind of met, and I should just be looking at it as a 2-cost 5-1 Decay, which is actually a pretty strong card. It is. It's a 5-1 with Decay that replaces itself
1: with a Vampire Bat when it dies, and maybe yes. that's enough. Obviously, it gets better if you have a bunch of things that work with it, but uh, just, just on its own, it's pretty good.
0: It... yes. It, it is, but like... How much better? Like, how much better is it than the common, the three cost four one decay? Uh, like, well, I don't. I don't feel like it's astronomically better. I think it. Re-
1: I think the fact that it replaces itself with another unit is pretty darn good. Um,
0: yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I agree. It, it's good. But like, even the one one flying lifesteal, It's like that. You know, you know, if it was like a 1-1 a, a one, one deadly or something, I'd, I'd feel a yeah, lot better would, about that it. That would
1: be better, but I will play a vampire bat just as its own card when it's available in a draft format. So uh, maybe yeah. I'm unusual that way, but I, I I like my little vampire bats. They punch above their
0: weight. No, I I agree. I agree. I just think that this card is, I don't know, it doesn't excite me. Well, that's fair. Well, it's only it's only number twenty-two. Yeah. Um, and so, would you take this above a desert alchemist?
1: No, I would take desert alchemist above this. It pack one, pick one. We're we're, yes. we're still talking here. But if I'm in, if I'm solidly in stone scar, then I'm happy to see this card because I think it's a great little sort of mid range uh, value card.
0: Oh yeah, no. Def- I mean, I would definitely play this in my stone scar decks. But
1: uh, pack one, pick one. I'd take I'd take desert alchemist over sell.
0: Yeah. All right, so I think we're in the same spot. I think, but so. I just think with the fact that there's a three cost four four one decay, I don't know. It's like this is this is not for me that much above replacement level.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: Uh, let's uh, let's talk about number twenty one, Gleeful Firebrand.
1: So Gleeful Firebrand is a 0-3 for one fire. It says, when you play a spell with cost 5 or more, deal 3 damage to an enemy. And it's uh, it's also got plunder. So Gleeful Firebrand... Firebrand it's a hard card to say. <laughs> it's a hard card to say. Gleeful <laughs> Firebrand... <laughs> um, ...is a real rattlesnake of a card in the sense that uh, when your opponent has one... You have to play as though they're going to be able to start torching your units with it when they reach five power. Um, but it's not guaranteed. You don't know how many five uh, cost spells they manage to get in their pile. Uh, but uh, you've got to act as though they can do it. Sort of like Ancient Machinist, which uh, may actually be a better card than this if you have, have a, a whole bunch of five power spells uh, or five cost spells. Uh, anyway. Uh, but, as far, but uh, assuming, assuming that your opponent's deck is well built and they make a Gleeful Firebrand on turn one or worse, turn four, um, uh, you have to behave as though this thing is going to wreck you. So uh, uh, the, the fact that it is only a 0-3 uh, means that it's not that hard to kill. There are ways um but also the fact that you have to take a one drop so seriously makes it a very scary card that's punching way above its weight.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. It's I think this is a pretty cool little card. I haven't gotten like a like dedicated 5 cost spell deck to work yet, but um but I've played a couple of these and they've always been good, you know dark fires five cost <laughs> yeah
1: yeah dark is
0: five cost all right um, uh. <laughs> but uh but I I really like the fact that you play it on one it can block something probably um, it plunders which helps your opening hands then if you play it later like on four it gives it can turn something into your fifth power that you need to play then to then play your five cost spell so the fact that it sort of synergizes with itself in the sense that you want to get to five power um, is pretty good with uh, yeah. plunder.
1: Yeah, and for the record, I think I would probably still take Desert Alchemist over this, but um, because it requires drafting your deck in a particular way to make it really good, so there's more hoops to jump through. But there, once I've got like maybe maybe th- three. Uh, spells that work with this then i'm probably going to take it pretty high
0: yes and i think the fact that this format does have a lot of five cost or more spells i think really ups you know yeah. and that you can play them is pretty is pretty and, good.
1: The, and the just the fact that it has plunder makes it uh, a, a pretty high pick
0: yeah, and, and what's kind of interesting for me is like you know even just like in a mono fire deck, like if you play this and you don't really have a lot of five or higher spells, but you have Armed and Dangerous, for example, like this really goes well with. Oh yeah, <laughs> with Armed and Dangerous, and so you don't really need to be in like the, de- like the, quote unquote like official Praxis five cost, spell deck. To really mm-hmm. get use out of this card, which is nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, no the the you don't have yeah you don't have to jump too, through too many hoops, um for it to be very good, uh just a few just a few more than I like for a, a for a first pick, but it doesn't take much for me to to think oh this is going to be a great card in my deck so yeah yeah All right. twenty, um I don't know whether it's called whether it's Jotun or Joten or Jotun but I like Jotun so I'm gonna say uh say it that way uh this is Jotun Ice Slinger uh this is a 6-6 giant for eight primal primal it's got Aegis uh and its summon ability is deal damage to an enemy unit equal to your shadow influence and you get that much life so I have I have this on the list because when it works it, when when your opponent plays this and they have some shadow influence uh You're you're probably done. <laughs> <laughs> they killed something with their eight drop, and now you have to deal with a six six with Aegis, and they gain some life. Uh, but I don't. You're not going to see that happen very often because you'd have to be crazy to take this really early in a draft. <laughs> uh, it's an eight drop. It's only a six six for eight, and you do need for there to be some. You need to be playing film for it to be very good. Uh, so, uh, I don't think it's a super strong card to take speculatively. Um, there's a lot. Of some a lot of times you're going to be in a primal deck that doesn't even want an eight drop period. Like if you're some sort of a fairly aggressive film deck, I don't know if that exists, but you don't want uh, any eight cost cards. But if you are the slow film deck, this is a great top end. <laughs> it's yeah. a huge amount of value. I've had it played against me exactly once, and it it was. It was very depressing. I was like, I thought I was winning this game, but no. <laughs> I guess not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that kills me with this card is the fact that it's, it's a film card. Like, I know it doesn't make sense probably color pie-wise, but like, I feel like this card would be a lot better if it was looking for time influence or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know where it would feel like it makes the
1: most sense, but I do agree with you that it feels wrong the way it is. <laughs> it doesn't feel like there should be a primal card that just ices something when it comes into play, but that's what this card is.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that it requires shadow, like, makes sense, so... Sure. Uh, or, uh, you know, like, the theme... I guess I was thinking less from, like, a theme... Like, the theme sense makes... The, in from a theme sense it makes sense to me okay, okay. Uh, sort of like uh l- like mechanically but like i guess i just mean like from playability wise i'm just like i don't know <laughs> you know i'm like oh i have to be felon to play this i don't know like it's just like a weird card as compared to like if if this was like uh in a legion card you're like oh well like I'm a I want a ramp. I want to play. You know, I want to get a lot of time influence. I want to play a big thing. So this would be like a great ramp top end. But like Feln isn't really a ramping deck, and so no, it's just it's, it's just slow... kind of a weird card. It's just a weird card for yeah,
1: it's a slow value, uh, like sort of plotting deck in my experience. Uh, mm-hmm. Feln is. Uh, it's a long-term value deck, um, but one of the things that FELN sometimes has a hard doing uh, has a hard time doing is sort of um, is is like playing a card that at the end of all of this value uh, ends the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you can sort of like sacrifice your stupid little units and kill a lot of your opponent's units, uh, but then like nothing in your deck actually just finishes them it's hard to come up with a card that does that and this is one of the cards that kind of does that like you can still kill the ice slinger but you're gonna have to use a lot of resources because it's got aegis you can't just use a removal spell on it um and the fact that it got rid of your worst threat when it came into play means that it's kind of a the final word in that game yeah but you're not going to see it that often because again super hard to draft film and you don't pick an ice slinger up early in the draft and say, I'm going to draft film because I have this card. <laughs> exactly.
0: All right, so number 19.
1: Furno, Rageborn. Uh, this is uh, another card with a great name. I have a real affinity for these sort of aggressive fire names, I guess. Uh, it costs four and quintuple fire, five fire influence uh, for a 3-3. Three, three. And when Furno attacks, deal one damage to any enemy. Uh, and its Surge ability has increased the damage of Furno's ability by one. So Furno uh, is a super weird card um, that is potentially uh, very powerful, uh, but takes some time to do it. And so it's in a weird place for for fire decks, which usually want to be attacking with the units that they summon all the time. But Furno has to kind of wait, because by the time you've generated five fire influence uh, there's probably stuff on the board that has more than one health, and so Furno has to charge up for a couple of turns before he attacks and kills something on his attack and Then the other problem with Furno is that he's only a three three so even if he kills your opponent's biggest threat, the rest of your opponent's board can probably block and kill him and Nevertheless, I have a fondness for this little guy, <laughs> and I kind of kind of wish i w- I want to make it work and I've seen him work like i've c- he's come down against me. And charged up for a couple of turns. And I was like, oh, I suddenly can no longer effectively block Furno. (laughs) He got all the power that he needed. He did it. Good job, little guy. Uh, (laughs) What a fierce little Furno. Uh, And uh, yeah, so maybe um, uh, Furno Furno doesn't make me sad immediately when he comes down on my opponent's side. uh, But eventually he does. And I think that's great. (laughs)
0: yeah no i agree i actually think this is kind of a scary card because you're like man this could really get out of hand especially dependent a little bit on the deck like if your deck is all you know if you're giant giant guys and you're like uh inferno's not doing much but there's a lot of decks where you're like oh boy this is gonna just slowly gun down my whole board and there's also the threat that
1: Furno will just uh, sit there on the board and charge up until he can one-shot your face. <laughs> so yeah. You got that ability too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, I think that's a, a pretty a pretty good card.
1: Yeah, uh, I would take Desert Alchemist over it because he's so hard to summon. Like if you're not Mono Fire, it's real hard to to summon a Furno.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh.
1: So number eighteen, Oscar. Chief Tinker. Uh, This is a 2-5 for 3. Justice Justice. When Oscar attacks, gain shadow influence. When you have 6 shadow influence, uh, there's just a novel. When you have 6 shadow influence, it says when you sacrifice a non-Valkyrie unit, it becomes a Valkyrie with flying at the end of your turn. Play it from your void. I have to say that Oscar is maybe my favorite card in the entire set, partly because he's named Oscar, and it's just a cute name. But also, oh, once this thing is in play, your opponent has no idea what to do anymore. <laughs> like, because now your units come back. I had someone imprison me when Oscar was on the board once. That was awesome. <laughs> imprison forces you to sacrifice two units. And I was like, upgrade two of my units so they have flying? Will do. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to do it. Thanks, opponent. <laughs> they, they had just given up. <laughs> once, and it requires a lot of work. Like any of the car, any of the the cards that only activate once you have a bunch of influence in a faction that outside of their own, you know that requires some work. Uh, but I'm we're assuming here that you've built a deck so that it can actually work. Um, and, and Oscar is so awesome once he's in play. Uh, there's not a huge number of sacrifice effects in the format, but the fact that sacrifice effects now. Benefit your army rather than, and they're no longer a cost. Uh, it makes it makes Oscar feel really awesome once he's down and the and the engine is going.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is, I think, this is where we get to the part where you're like, I don't. Where the rares start getting really serious, I feel like.
1: Yeah, this is pro right around in here in the next three picks is where is where we're talking about the rares where, if you can't answer them immediately, you're done.
0: Yeah, because I mean, again, this is like a like you said, assuming a deck can utilize Oscar, it is, that is such a powerful ability. Yeah, um, and so I think you don't take this. I mean. Unless you want to have fun, you don't take this above Desert Alchemist, probably. Probably not.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like a, a, the adult thing to do is not to. Um. <laughs> but if I have even one Justice card and I see Oscar, I'm probably taking him. Yeah. I'm like it's a two five for three already. It's good.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's also also uh, Oscar create uh, uh, activates Surge every time he attacks, so he actually goes quite well with. Um, you know, uh, uh, Chain Whip Bludgeoners and, and Flame Heart Patrollers and that sort of thing. Yeah, just in a Mono
0: Justice. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. Next so I, is, it's just, oh. a, and like taking away, turning the downside of all your sacrifice cards, and there's a lot of good sacrifice cards in this format, and making it an even further upside is just an unbelievable ability. Yeah,
1: it reverses the whole way you think about your cards. It's neat.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it combines really well with other cards. Yeah, Oscar is one of my one of my favorite rares.
0: Okay, um, and then in the same cycle, number seventeen. I don't know how to say the name of this character. Igen, Igen. Yeah, it's Igen or Igen. I don't know. I think let's
1: let's go with Igen. Igen, comma walking armory. Uh, three fire, fire for a three-three. When Ejen attacks, gain justice, and when you have six justice, the first time you play a unit each turn, play a plus four, plus four weapon on it. So this is a common card in in constructed too because of its power, and uh, Ejen does give itself a plus four, plus four weapon if you already have six justice when you play her. Uh, so she comes down as a seven-seven. And uh, I'll tell you, one thing that your draft deck probably has a lot of is units. So you get this bonus every turn, <laughs> and, and that's real hard to fight. Uh, you don't have to attack with Aegon to get that power. You're just playing a giant unit every turn.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you you're are not winning once this is active.
1: Yeah, yeah. The fact that it's hard to make this active is the only thing that keeps this card from being absolutely absurd uh in like if your opponent plays an Aegin with six justice uh influence they earned it. They get to win the game.
0: <laughs> yeah. I will say like the thing that makes this card so scary is like Rokano is one of the best decks already. You sure. know like that's a problem that some of these cards have, like Oscar is in Argent or Arjunport. Arjunport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like obviously it's a good card and you can make an Arjunport deck, and I'm not saying port's bad, but it's like not as obvious of a deck as um I- I- as Rakano is. And the one thing that Justice is really good at is making more justice. Yeah, your makes, badges like, of honors and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and you have the weapon and and
1: uh and Ajin or Ajin, uh uh suits Rakano's main theme really well, which is Surge. Ajin activates Surge yeah. by herself.
0: Yeah, that's why I, I like Yeah, I think this is one of the scarier of the cycle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I maybe could have put it higher on the list, but I
0: put it here. Yeah. <laughs> um And so do you take this card above Desert Alchemist?
1: Yeah, I would take it I would take this card above desert alchemist probably i think this is the power this right here is where i would i would cut it off
0: yeah all right i I think
1: for practically everything above here is probably well no there's some complications there anyway yeah i would take it we'll get to them (laughs) yeah okay number 16 wasteland broker um wasteland broker is uh is a factionless card it costs four you get a four four um and its summon ability is you may put a card from your market and three additional copies of it into the top 20 cards of your deck um if this is my rare i am always taking it i would take it above desert alchemist and i would put it in absolutely every draft deck (laughs) Hmm. this is this is the card i'm always hoping to open um and the reason is that you're almost always going to have some top end in your deck. And because the format is the way it is, there's going to be like one card that's a little hard to summon. Like it's got, it requires four influence of a specific type or like three influence of two different types or something. Uh, If you have a Wasteland Broker, you put that card in your market. And now you have four copies of your best card. And you don't draw them in your opening hand. You only draw them after you've wasteland brokered four of them into your deck, and you have the influence to summon them. So you don't necessarily know when you're going to draw the the one of the four copies of the best card that you drafted. But now that's the deck that you're playing. Um, So good candidates are like if you have an Omen Scar Worm, that's your eight eight for eight that draws cards every time you surge. Put it in your market. If you've got a Wasteland Broker, because now you've got four Omen Scar Worms and you don't have them littering your opening hand. I've done it for the Ancient Serpent, the the card that uh, the primal card that draws a spell from your right. from your Void. Anything that's a little hard to summon, but you don't necessarily want to do it on curve, or you don't have to do it on curve, but you'd rat- what you'd like to have four copies of instead of one Wasteland Broker does it. It's an amazing card, and so if your opponent summons one uh assuming they know what they're doing and that's the strategy that they're using and they're not just like oh well i had some crappy cards and i put them in my market and now four of them are in my deck because it's the one that most applies to the current board state if they're not doing that and they're actually putting four copies of some amazing card in uh then you don't immediately lose to the wasteland broker but in eventually, you will. <laughs> You're going to eventually lose to what the Wasteland Broker did several turns ago. So it's a depressing card to see from your opponent. Because you know you better win the game fast because the quality of their deck went up very high.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm a little lower on this card. I One, because its body got worse with the nerf. I mean, it's still like a fine body. Yeah. But... I guess part of it for me is like you need to have drafted another really good card to like, yeah, you just need to have drafted another really good card. And then also it's a delayed thing. So from the perspective of like this list where you're like, okay, I have a hand, you still have a handful of turns to, to win sort of, oh, that's true. you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, you know in a certain number of turns they're probably going to draw their best card. But then it's going to be a certain number of turns after that to draw another copy of that. So, like, I don't know.
1: And that's fair. Uh, and that's fair, but I'll tell you, I'm going to keep on taking Wasteland Broker over every other card, and every time I summon it, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to win this game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's subtle. It's a more subtle... Rare, but it's just as much of a hammer blow if you're willing to play a long game.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so number it 15. used
1: to be a four-five before the nerf. I think it's fair to uh, to mention that because then it was you know even better. But yeah, there's that, plenty that... of like three threes and stuff in this format that it blanks. So.
0: All right, so then
1: number fifteen. Fifteen. I'm putting Vengeful Flight. Vengeful Flight is a spell. Uh, it costs five. Primal, primal, primal. It has revenge. And it says, play a copy of one of your units without flying and then give them both flying. I think we talked about this card a little bit before. Um, I, I don't know. I put it here on the list because the times I've played against it, it's felt like it's really ended the game. Because uh, having it really depends on what you're casting it on, obviously. Uh, the, the, more, the, the bigger the card that now has flying, and, and there's two of them, the worse this card is. Or actually, the better this card is. Um, I'm talking as though it's my opponent playing it Um, but it does feel like it's really hard to overcome because units that are units that don't have flying don't have flying for a reason because they're bigger than units that do have flying so when you give them flying permanently and then make copies of them and both of them fly it's like oh I don't think I'm going to be able to to win this game anymore (laughs) usually but it's a little bit hard to make it work, and you do have to have something on the board to copy in order to make it very good. But then it comes back and makes a copy of the next thing, and so I think it feels like a very powerful rare. I would take this over Desert Alchemist because I'm not afraid to play Primal, and, I, and this is going to be the best card in a lot of my Primal decks. Um, so uh, and and maybe my experience of this card is colored a little bit by the fact that I've seen I've had it cast on Acrid Scorpion so many times against me in Feldex and it's like Acrid Scorpion with Lifesteal is a 3-5 now it's a 3-5 with Flying and Lifesteal I'm like well I guess this is over <laughs> now there's two of those things Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do
0: yeah I mean I, th- I think this card definitely deserves to be on the list uh, because when your opponent plays it it probably means it's <laughs> about to be very good for them you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. but it, that doesn't like take into account when it's sort of like dead in their hand or you know you know not doing much. It's like when you yeah, see it, the- it, it's an amazing card. But I think I I I maybe I'm a little colored by the fact that I've drafted it twice and it's done absolutely nothing for me, and so uh, it feels deader than it probably is because it doesn't actually read like it should be a dead card that often. Um,
1: well the problem that you brought up last week is that a lot of Primal's good cards already have flying. And so and so Vengeful Flight uh, feels like it just
0: literally has no targets sometimes. Yes, I I that's what I thought. And then sometimes, you know, you're just not playing that many units and then even if you you know it's it has a weird tension where When you play it on a unit, that means if it comes back from revenge early, you might very well not have a second target and stuff. So you're not like getting full value out of it. Which um, you know, maybe you're. You know, maybe casting it once is enough. But it is a a weird issue with the card.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you do have to sort of build the deck when you're making your final cuts. Like think about the fact that you have a vengeful flight and and just maybe. Uh, the the units that you include in your deck make sure that you have enough targets that the vengeful flight will be consistently good and maybe that means that you don't, maybe that means that you cut uh, like a small flyer or something and leave in a big uh, ground unit that you otherwise, I don't know it's just, it's a consideration um, the fact that it's three primal means that you do have to be pretty heavily into primal and so a lot of your units are going to have flying already
0: and so that's a factor but um, yeah and uh, I guess the other thing is just like, I mean, this isn't universally true, but again, you know, like primal relies so often on its uncommons, and so like when you're thinking of like the primal commons, there's like a lot of tiny primal commons in this format, like every format, um, which is like an issue. So like, there's some good uncommons you could hit with this, but like if you're once if you're just thinking about like primal and not your other color. You know, I feel like your other color needs to do more work for vengeful flight to be.
1: Yeah, ideally. Yeah. I think this is probably good in illusion where you've got some big time units and, yeah. and that kind of thing. But it's all it's fine to it's fine to cast this on a spell down sign or something like that. Get a Yeah,
0: get another
1: no. get another big old bear. Big yeah, exactly.
0: Bear. And it yeah.
1: There are there are targets, but yeah, no, there's a little bit of tension with it. It's a powerful card that's not always at its best. Yeah. All
0: right, um, and then number 14.
1: I think everything above this is, is pretty dramatic. Uh, so 14 is Wump and Mizo. Uh, I, the first time someone played this against me, I hadn't actually looked at the rares in the format yet. I was just sort of playing drafts, without, and I only knew the commons and uncommons. And I had to stop and read this card like every couple of seconds for a while before I had any idea what it was doing. Wump and Mizo is a 2-2 for two. Time primal, primal, primal. Your Yeti are invulnerable to snowballs. At the start of each player's turn, they play a snowball. Then, if there are four or more snowballs in voids, transform Wump and Mizo into a six-six party pair. Um, and party pair uh, also has text on it. Uh, it's a uh, it's a six-six. It has endurance. Uh, your Yeti are still invulnerable to Snowballs at the start of your turn, and when you attack with one or more units, play a Snowball. Um, holy cow, what a complicated card. <laughs> it's really hard. So you have to kill it right away, or this 2-drop becomes a 6-6 six, six with Endurance. Um, uh, so occasionally you'll be able to kill something with the Snowball that and Miso gives you as, your, as the opponent. Uh, is, which is, you know, neat but probably not. Um, you just sort of toss snowballs back and forth, you have your friendly little snowball fight, and then you die because Party Pair will kill you. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's, a, it's an intimidating card that doesn't kill you immediately but is going to. Uh, a lot of things can kill a 2-2, thank goodness. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it, when you see this card come down, you better have removal for it quick because uh, otherwise otherwise you're going to die. Um, I have not, I don't have anything else to say about it except that it's such a complicated card, uh, but you do have to take it very seriously. It's, people play this in Constructed too, because it is another card where you have to have a specific answer to it um, before it takes over the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 6 6 with Endurance, just in general, very good card, especially when it costs two.
1: Yeah, and then when it comes in, like you can't have a. You know, you can't block it with like a one-one with deadly because that gets snowballed out of the way. <laughs> so it's sort of, it's sort of like, well, once it once it transforms, you're probably you're probably done. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's also one of my favorite cards just because the story that it tells is so is is so silly. It's like now we're gonna have a friendly snowball fight, and then I'm gonna get on my dragon and and <laughs> and, and, and stop on you, still throwing snowballs. <laughs> it's one of the best story cards that they ever printed
0: yeah all right number
1: 13 this is otherworldly visitor so this is the first of the transmute cards that we're going to talk about this is actually from elements which is a one uh one primal fast spell deal three damage to an attacking enemy which is still a pretty good card uh and then it transmutes into other otherworldly visitor when you get three fire and three time influence otherworldly visitor uh, is a 4-4 that says when you play a spell your units get plus one plus one this turn and when you summon it you get a ravenous worm uh, that is always that is a zero zero that always has plus one plus one for each unit in your void. so its size changes depending on which on how many units are in your void while it's in play. Uh, I've had the pleasure of actually having another worldly visitor in play. Um, it's a, it's a very powerful card but you do want to have some some cheap spells to accompany it. Usually you've got those, but I've actually... Uh, the one time I, I managed to draft this and play it, it was sort of like I had big spells, but not a lot of little ones. Mm-hmm. And so it was awkward actually getting a lot of value off of this thing, which is why it's the bottom of the of the transmute bombs. Um, but the fact that it's one of the few ways to give buffs to your entire field makes it very strong, because when you attack... And you've got another worldly visitor on your board, what does your opponent even do? <laughs> yeah. Like they have no idea how big the units are going to be when they come in when the when when they actually do damage.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, I think all of these transmute cards are really powerful. I think the interesting question for me with these transmute cards is how highly you take them. Because I find that the triple influence in two factions is like a very, very big commitment, especially early in the draft. And it's also tricky because the card itself is in a third faction. And um, it's hard for me to evaluate whether that like raises the value of the card, because most of these transmute cards, like the front half aren't bad, you know, like, One damage, deal three, you know, one power, deal three damage to an attacking enemy is like a very good card. Um, And so you're sort of safe in the sense that, like, you can either be in Primal, which sort of gives you four possible decks, you know, four color pairs, or you can be in Praxis. So I guess, like, in a sense, you have like a 50-50 50/50 shot of playing this card.
1: Uh yeah, something like that. Yeah, um yeah, I I certainly think that you don't treat the card if you're taking it early, you're not treating the card as a card that you want to be able to use both sides of. No, um, definitely Like not. you don't want to stretch your I've seen people do it, but I don't think you necessarily need to to try to play all three factions or even like Splash for another faction so that you can play the front half of the card. You're taking a card that could potentially go in um, in a lot of different decks and have a different form depending on where you land. So uh, if in the Desert Alchemist comparison, I think most of these, including this one, uh, doesn't measure up to Desert Alchemist because you're much more likely to be able to play the Alchemist in the end. Um, but the fact that the transmuted version of the card is so powerful, although I think this is by far the weakest of them, uh, mm-hmm. the fact that it is usually so powerful means that you, it's, it ends up being your end game bomb if you do end up in the correct two factions. Um, means that I'm happy to have these in my pool if I can play them. you know, I don't know. I guess I'm not really saying anything particularly profound there. Uh, it's a risky play, it's a risky pick early on. But the since since these transmute cards tend to win you the game so much if you can't summon them, um, the, it's kind of a high risk high reward thing. Or if there's not much else exciting in the pack, low risk high reward.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess this one this one in particular is kind of tricky because I think it's one of the best front halves of any of the cards of any of the transmute. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would say it's the second best of, of the from cards
0: um and so that's what's making me wonder whether like this one do i take higher than a desert alchemist because i mean i guess desert alchemist has plunder which is great but like this does kill a unit if you just end up being in a primal deck sure yeah um, it's, it's
1: an early it's early defense yeah
0: yeah and then if you do end up in a praxis deck this is better than desert alchemist i guess I don't know. It's kind of... I guess thinking about the fact that there's, like, five color pairs where this card fits theoretically, you you know, means... It's, like, technically playable in more decks than Desert Alchemist is. I hadn't really thought about it that way until I had said it. Um, I don't know. It's just... Yeah,
1: it is playable in more decks in a sense um yeah yeah because it's playable it's playable in in uh in like four faction pairings with primal for sure um and which would be the same as desert alchemist but for time and i guess the question is uh because i do think desert alchemist is a stronger card than this because for one thing it is a unit that attacks and it has plunder so just if that's all it is, if it's just the front half of this card in Desert Alchemist, I'm still going to take Desert Alchemist. I think it's a more versatile card. So, is the added fact that it might end up being a massive bomb in your deck uh, enough to make it uh, a card that you take speculatively over Desert Alchemist? I don't know.
0: Yeah. And I guess, you know, and then this is kind of interesting, because it's the bomb part of it is the least bomby of the bunch, but like, the front half is the closest to Desert Alchemist yeah. of the bunch, so...
1: The the weird part about the bomb half of this card is that the Ravenous Worm part is much better if you have a lot of units in your void, which would suggest that you want to be playing some kind of token deck that like puts a lot of units in your void. However, yeah. the other part of the card is that you want to play spells, and probably cheap spells, so you can do more than one thing in a turn. Um, and there's not a lot of cards that... Sort of go into that strat that go into both strategies, but there are some like rally is a good card if you're playing a deck that wants to go wide and then play rallies. Uh, there's like Humbug Nest that's a spell that makes units. There's yeah. a few cards like that that go very well with it, but not a ton of cards that go very well with it. So it's got this kind of weird split personality,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, there is that like rally like card in. Argent Depths, the unit plus three, and then yeah, relentless pursuit. Yeah, yeah. So, um,
1: so that deck does exist, uh, but if you're not playing that specific deck, then Otherworldly Visitor feels like a little bit like a bomb without like a home. Yeah. All right, so number twelve, Arcanum Battery. That's uh, a uh, it's a six six for eight fire fire fire. When you play a spell with cost five or more, play a five-four sentinel. But Arcane and Battery costs one less for each of your Time Influence. Uh, and again, this is a very speci- This this is really only playable in Praxis. Uh, but if you're in Praxis, whoo boy! <laughs> <laughs> if you can play this thing for uh, for a discount and then play like a, fi- a five a five-cost spell in the same turn uh that's it you win the game uh and so you do have to do a little bit of work but if you see an arcane battery on the board uh presumably uh it's going to be able to activate a couple of times (laughs) and it's just too much like the spell still gets to do whatever it is that the spell does and five cost spells tend to be very strong um and just like pumping out a giant sentinel with each one of those uh yeah, Arcanum Battery is the bomb in the truest sense of the word. You know, it keeps making more threats, and it's big itself. And sometimes, if you get the discount on it, it feels very unfair.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, if you see this one on the board, you you're you feel like you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah, you feel like the game's probably gonna end pretty soon, and it's not gonna go well for you. But uh, I... the the only thing that stops it is maybe sometimes. Sometimes your opponent's deck hasn't quite lined up and they don't have a spell in hand to activate the thing.
0: Yes. Though so if they have a t- well, That's the thing with this card, though, is if they're in Praxis, as long as they have two time influence, they're doing all right for themselves. And if they have three or more time influence, then they still just played a ginormous, overstatted unit. Yeah. Yeah, they did. It's still a six-six, which is a little bigger than you want to have to deal with. Um, and you just never, you know, the threat of activation is so great. So yeah, yeah. Even if to... even if they play Seed of
1: Creation and they draw two cards and make a four, a five-four, it's, it's so hard to come back from that that level yeah. of value. Plus, the five-four doesn't come into play um, exhausted like the the like the spell that just makes five-fours. Yeah, that's uh, a little. that's easy to forget it is yeah because you're used to the 5-4 Sentinels coming in not able to block but no with Arcane and Battery they can Um,
0: yeah do you? Yeah, I feel like you still take Desert Alchemist over this, though.
1: I do because of the influence requirements. Because it's really only good in Praxis. Like mm-hmm. this, this as an eight drop is only okay. Like you, it's too easy to have lost control of the game by the time you make your six six and then play a spell on the next turn to activate it. In Praxis, right. it gets it gets it's it's so dramatically better than if you're not in Praxis that it's a bit too much of a speculative pick of a pack one pick one. All right, and then number 11. All right, we're starting to get into the mean ones now. This is Tavrod, Oric Financier. Um, this is five, justice, justice, justice for a 5-7. That's already too big. Uh, its summon ability is each other unit's strength and health become the lower of the two. And when uh, it dies, you draw a weapon from the top five cards of your deck and give it plus five strength, and you discard the rest. Uh, that last part, the entombability, uh, there's not that many weapons in the format, but if you do hit something with it, obviously that's amazing. Um, but the mostly this is a, a giant, giant unit. <laughs> it's a 5-7 for 5. And then often it will neuter things. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in this format that doesn't have uh, roughly equal power and toughness, so um, you're probably going to make your opponents units uh very difficult to use after that at least a few of them um this would be the absolute number one card on this list if not for the fact that justice has so many units with higher health and power and so it's very difficult to play tabrod without neutering your own units uh, that's the, it's like, you're not going to be in a lot of situations where you don't have anything on the board and your opponent has a whole bunch of five ones and then you can get rid of all of them with, with Tavrod. It's more common that you're like, oh, I've got this Siphoner Paladin that's going to turn into a one, one that's lame. And I've got a Caravan Guard that's a three, five now, but it's going to be a three, three when I play Tavrod. Uh, so it's hard to get a truly one-sided, uh, Tavrod. But the advantage that you have is that you've got Tavrod in your hand the whole time, so you know that it's coming, so you can make trades on the board and play play knowing that your opponent's lopsided units aren't going to be lopsided for long. They're going to be very balanced units and much smaller.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think it's the same thing as, like, board wipes. You know, It's the same concept. You, like, you have the information, you know it's in your deck, you know it's in your hand, and you can play accordingly to take full advantage of it um so you you know so cuz when you look at it you're like oh this is symmetrical and so like you said there's a lot of downsides being injustice and having these weird um sort of asymmetrical units and but because you, you you're playing this you're the one playing this card if it's in if it's in your deck you know you can play around that so yeah yeah you sure can. much better
1: yeah Uh, Number 10, Upset the Savior. I don't know if it's Upset or Upset. Let's say Upset. Four uh, and five time influence. So four, time, 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 time. Uh, It's a 6-4. It used to be a 6-5, but it's a 6-4 now. And it says when the enemy player plays a unit, you gain one life. And its summon ability is silence each single faction unit in the enemy player's hand. And that used to be all units in the enemy player's hand. But most of your units are going to be single faction in draft. So it's probably going to silence everything in your hand. Um, Upset sometimes comes down a little bit too late to just like destroy your hand. Uh, But we're assuming here that it does tag a couple of things that you haven't played yet. um, And that feels real bad. (laughs) It feels real bad to have that happen. And now you've got to deal with a six four, which is still very large.
0: Yes. Though blockable with a four four. That's true.
1: If you've got wow. a four four, which four is, handy. Which uh, is nice. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean it's not quite as ridiculous. It all it's also really hard to win once your opponent has an upset on the board because you have to play units to win, and each one heals your opponent a little bit. So yeah. it does feel it does start feeling kind of hopeless. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I agree. I do think I might put, now with the nerfs, put Tavrod over Upsat, but... Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah, cool.
1: we are assuming that Upsat really get tags something good in, in yeah. the hand here. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I, I struggled when I was making this list between Tavrod and Upset because for that reason. Um, and yeah, maybe with the nerfs, Tavrod's got the edge now. Uh, but I still think Upsat's great. Upsat, obviously, much harder to actually summon. So yes. yeah, realistically, I'm going to take Tavrod way above upset because it's that much easier to actually m- make the thing and put it on the board. Um, but if you're like dominant time or something, then upset's still like you're never cutting it.
0: Okay, and then do you take a, do you take a desert alchemist over upset? Do I take desert
1: uh, pack one pick one? Hmm. I think I still take desert alchemist just because upset's so hard to summon. Yeah, I think we're still I think we're still on the side of desert alchemist there.
0: Okay yeah that's yeah. interesting.
1: It's interesting that the rares are so powerful in this format, but there are a lot of them that aren't better than just a really like sort of utilitarian uncommon
0: <laughs> yeah all right then number nine number nine helio the
1: skywinder this is a five primal for a two two flyer and that's it that's all it does. Oh wait the text is summon <laughs> draw a card for every two primal you have um I put the i again I'm sort of I'm sort of uh, more comfortable with Primal than a lot of people in this format, yeah. and so that's why this is so high. And also, once Helio is on the board, it's not a scary card. It's a 2-2 with flying, and you do have to eventually deal with that. However, the reason I I put it so high on this list is because uh. it is deceptively crushing. If it drew two cards when it came into play, it's the best card like, you would never cut that. Like, the 2-2 the, the two, two that draws two cards when it comes into play is the best limited card that anyone's ever printed. You can't make that consistently happen, maybe. Uh, you do have to be pretty heavy primal. Um, mm-hmm. But it is... on. But, like, you you only... if if, uh, if your opponent summons a Helio, draws two cards off of it you only learn that you've lost the game a couple of turns down the road when you don't have any cards in your hand and your opponent still has cards in their hand. Right. <laughs> That's what happens. It's it's a stealth bomb uh, in, in that sense. It's the reason why Helio is such a common card in constructed decks now is because it's not so much that it just, just destroys you on its own. It's that it gives you the ability to destroy with your other cards. Um, and it does it so well, and then it's still a flyer that can win the game on its own by gradually pecking away. So I do think it's an incredibly strong card, and I will first pick it uh, over practically anything. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not dramatic. It's not, I mean, the, the, the artwork is a little dramatic. It's got that tongue and the teeth and the dragon and all that. Um, but it's, uh, it's not a dramatic board presence. Uh, but I still—it's still one of the cards that I'm hoping to open, and I know it's going to win me a lot of games.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, yeah. I mean, I I agree. Like you know, when you draw two cards, this is a Muldrifter, which again is a an iconic Magic yeah. card. Yeah, one but, of the strongest cards ever printed in Magic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you need four Primal for
1: that. I know and then you're and then you're playing a primal deck like a No, I don't mind the primal deck. Primal. I don't mind the
0: primal deck. I just think I I agree that it's a very good card if your opponent if you have the perfect deck for it, but mm-hmm. I guess when I'm thinking of it of how highly I'm taking it that's when I get a little bit more nervous. That's fair. I will take this over desert alchemist.
1: Okay. I can say that confidently. <laughs> well, you're a madman. But I am. <laughs> here all we go right. <laughs> so n- number eight Britain Inner Strength this is actually From Within this is another transmute card From Within is a one fire fast spell give one of your units plus two plus one charge and decay this turn that's a weird card it's like, it's like several different combat tricks and none of them are great but all together it gives you a lot of versatility anyway it transmutes uh, at at, uh, triple justice triple primal into Bryn inner strength which is a four six and when a spell uh it costs six uh a triple justice triple primal when a spell is played directly on one of your units it gets plus two plus two that's a permanent buff um and when you surge Bryn gets flying aegis berserk endurance killer lifesteal or overwhelm at random uh so all of the stuff that we said about transmute cards obviously still applies. Uh it's a little it's uh, From Within is not a super strong card by itself, but it's a fine little combat trick. And uh uh Bryn itself doesn't win the game instantly when it's on the table, and you do have to do a little work to make it great. However, if you're in Huru, you probably have some combat tricks, most notably Valiant Leap. Uh Valiant Leap is stupid with this card. <laughs> <laughs> giving something flying and overwhelmed for a turn, uh, giving it a permanent plus two, plus two bonus, and then knowing that the Valiant Leap is coming back because it has revenge. Um, super good. And then Brynn eventually becomes unstoppable. Uh, it, it's not unstoppable when it hits the board. It's just a 4-6. But once it's got a couple of abilities, yeah, it's pretty unstoppable. Once it's got, like, flying and endurance, then it's, uh, then it's a, fly, uh, a, a, a what's it called? a Something tree elder. Um fourth tree elder. Fourth tree, then it's a fourth tree elder. Uh pretty much any combination of two of these abilities is enough to make it ridiculous. Yeah. Uh so again, no, I'm not gonna take this over Desert Alchemist. Uh pack one pick one, but if I summon it, um it's 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 gonna it's gonna win. Yeah. I've never seen this in play, by the way. <laughs> I'm just assuming it's that good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, though it's kind of... You slightly undersold me with the um, the 4th Tree Elder comparison. Because, well, that's a good card. Uh-huh. That's not, like, the bombiest bomb in Bomb Town.
1: Yeah, but what if it gets Lifesteal the turn after that?
0: Yes. Yeah. And also, it doesn't have this great first ability. That's
1: true. The first ability is pretty good. I don't know, maybe I put Brynn a little bit too high on this list, but I feel like Brynn... Uh, uh, I guess it doesn't instantly win the game the way some of these other cards do, but that's why the other cards are, are higher on the list and we haven't talked about them yet.
0: I know, and I agree. No, you look at this card and you just like think of all the potential. Yeah. yeah. You're like, wow, all my units are going to be giant. This is going to have six keywords. Huh. <laughs> How can yeah. I lose? Yeah. Uh, so so I, I, I like this card for, you know, it allows you to dream big. Yeah. Yeah, I dream of one day seeing it
1: and being able to play Huru after that because that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, Alright, number, yeah. number seven. Now we're getting into the fun ones. Uh, none of the rest of this list has been fun. <laughs> this is Siege Train. Uh, this is a 6-4 four for 4-fire-fire. Four, fire. It has Overwhelm. It has Reckless. Uh, and it has the craziest ability that any card has ever had. Uh... When you summon it, secretly choose either Drifter, which is a 2-1-for-1, one one, a Piercing Shot, which, is, uh, uh, which does 2 damage uh, to an opposing unit and your opponent's face, or an Ember Fury Blade, which is a 3-3 three, three weapon. When it dies, you play a copy of the card that you secretly chose for each time that Siege Train has attacked. Uh siege train will make your opponent concede. <laughs> if they can't kill it immediately, they they're they're probably done, which is interesting because it's only it only costs 4 and it has to attack. So you'd think it would be an easy card to deal with. Uh but the amount of value that it generates is massive. Uh I also want to say that I hope that this is it would make it feel less unique as a card. Um and this was given plus plus's Uh, like uh, a user-designed card that that direwolf put into the game like one of the very few cards that the community designed Um, I I don't think there's any other card where you see where there's secret information that isn't cards in your hand or like what's left in your deck. you know it's out on the board but there's still a secret and and you also have to anticipate what's going to happen in future turns so a lot of times people will choose piercing shot because it's sort of the the most obvious value um, to sort of clean up the board after the Siege Train dies, but it's not always correct. It, sometimes it's correct to get to choose the Drifters. Sometimes if you've already got a board built up, it's correct to choose the weapons. Uh, it's an interesting choice when you summon Siege Train. Um, and I, I want to see more of that kind of thing because that's a whole other like avenue of interesting choices to make if they do similar abilities on cards in the future. So I'm hoping that that's a, something that will inspire them. Uh, none of that really matters because... In, uh, if you summon a siege train and draft, you just win. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Your interesting crazy. choice is that you win the game because you played this card. <laughs> it's too much value. It's just overwhelming, yeah. The only thing you can do about it is kill it immediately if you're able to do that. Um, kill it very soon, or occasionally ignore it and say, you know what, I can take 6 damage for a couple of turns in a row without dying, it's not going to be able to block. I'll just like try to win before it
0: destroys me. Yeah, I mean for, I mean, silencing it helps. You still, your opponent still has a six four, which is,
1: yeah. not great. Silence but. is an okay answer to it too. Yeah, that's why forget is such a good card, is it takes the takes the sting out of cards like this.
0: All right, so number six.
1: Uh, this is, uh, Plasma Primordial, a.k.a. From Below. Uh, the spell is, uh, one-time kill an enemy Relic. It transmutes into a Plasma Primordial when you get three Primal and three Shadow. The Plasma Primordial is a 4-8, uh, and it says when an enemy plays a spell, they discard each copy from their deck. At the start of your turn, play a 3-1 Plasma Globule with Killer. The first part of that, not really relevant to draft, because, uh, usually you don't have a lot of copies of any one spell. The three one with killer every turn. That's gonna. That's 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 real hard <laughs> to fight. <laughs> that's so hard sure to do. when it.
0: you play the four eight.
1: Also the four eight that is basically unkillable. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just uh, it's just a mean card. I've man, I've, I have seen this one in play, and it's just like I don't even know what to do. <laughs> like I can't attack over it because my flyers have three health, and the globules will kill them. Uh, anything bigger than the Primordial will eventually get taken down by the killer units. Um, it's just, it, it like, it provides all of the inevitability that you need in a to, to win a game. And the only downside, obviously, is that it's in film, so you're not going to be playing it ever, <laughs> because you're not drafting film. But other than that, uh, like I was saying, sometimes Felm doesn't have a card that will end the game once you've gotten all the value from all of your various revenge spells and, you know, all of your kill spells and all of that. Well, here's one. Here's here's a thing that you can end the game with. Uh, you just make your primordial, and that's if they can't kill it. They um, can't kill it. You just eventually wipe their board and then attack with a 4-8. Also, the 4-8, you can't attack through it because it's bigger than anything else on the board. So, yeah, good card. Yeah. All right, so number five. Maeve, Walker of Eons. Uh, That starts out as From Beyond, which is the one shadow spell. Choose a unit or spell with cost three or less from the enemy player's hand. They discard it. I've been wrecked by From Beyond by itself, by the way. Somebody From Beyonded something in my hand. Turn back time, the From Beyond got rid of another thing from my hand, and then I just didn't do anything for the rest of the game. They never had to make Mave, uh, But Mave uh, is what it transmutes into with three time and three justice influence, and that is a 4-5 for 6. The first time you play another unit and the first time you play a weapon each turn, draw a card. Uh, its summon ability is put all units and weapons in your void into your deck with plus 4, plus 4. So this card plays really well because it puts a bunch of stuff into your deck that's overpowered and then it draws those things with its other ability and it's not hard to draw cards once maven's down on the board because all that's in your deck is units (laughs) and and occasionally weapons so you'll probably get to draw a card every turn or two if you have a unit and a weapon uh so you'll you'll draw into your giant plus four plus four units and weapons pretty quickly Mm mm-hmm uh, it seems real hard to to win a game if mave if you're if you're looking at a mave across the board from you. It's like yes. an omen scar worm, but also their entire deck has improved.
0: Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's a really good card. I I think I like plasma primordial slightly better than it. Then again, mave is in a better color combo. I think they're comparable. Yeah, yeah, um, they're very close.
1: They're both gonna they're both massive bombs once they're on the table.
0: Yeah. And I I did like that you mentioned the that the put all units and weapons in your void into your deck with plus 4 plus 4 like on that on its own that's not like a particularly great ability because you might not draw you know you're probably not in a normal circumstance you might not be drawing those cards and you might not have that much in your void but the fact that this helps you dig for them, makes that ability better than you might otherwise think it, which makes yeah. this card much better than you otherwise might think.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that's I think that's what sort of makes it feel like a really strong card is that all of its abilities go together very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, number right. four, Burning Cruelty. This card starts out as From Anguish... Uh, one justice spell, kill a unit with five strength or more, it gets void bound. I think this is the best of the From cards. Uh, For the very specific reason that there's a theme of units having five strength exactly, uh, because that's what stone scar's theme is, and so From Anguish has a lot of targets. Um, There's hardly a deck that you won't be able to cast this against. Uh, It transmutes into Burning Cruelty at three fire and three shadow. Burning Cruelty... There's a 5-4 for 6, and at the start of your turn, play the top card of your deck. If it's a unit, it gets charged and deadly. Pay 5 to give a unit plus 5 strength this turn. It's that last line of text that really makes this thing absurd, because <laughs> every unit you have is now a massive threat. Yes. Uh, the, the fact that this draws and plays a card for free every turn would be enough. That would be sufficient. Uh, but the fact that no matter what it plays, uh, it, it's gonna be ridiculous, you're gonna even if it's like a 1 one or something, it's got charred and deadly and it might have five more straight this turn. It's so hard to win a game once there's an act of burning cruelty uh, in play against you. Um, it might as well just say, look, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna win give
0: up. <laughs> yeah, no this is a ridiculous card. I mean, it all,
1: it's also a much safer pick early in the draft because from anguish is just straight up playable
0: yes yeah and stone scars a great deck so. yeah
1: stone scars a great deck justice is a great faction by itself it's a very safe pick it's going to be one of the best cards in your deck no matter what form it takes so yeah yeah
0: that's good all enough. right so
1: n- now into the big three these are the big three, yeah. The three that you're probably going to see more than some of the others too, because people will just take them and play them no matter what. Um, and two of them are in shadow. I think every, I think people who have played this draft format have a couple of their favorites in mind. And yes, this is indeed the top three. Boy, I sure waffled a lot before getting to this. Whew, uh, I've been talking for a long time. Number three. The unforgiven. <laughs> the unforgiven is cost seven shadow shadow, so it should be a good bomb. It is a five six. It has flying and ambush. Uh, its summon ability is the enemy player discards five random units from their deck. As a five six with flying and ambush, it would be a pretty great card. Most things in this format, for the reason that I was saying before, have exactly five strength. They don't have six strength. They have five, so the Unforgiven swallows them whole. Um, It's a big ambush unit, so it's warped my my perception of the format so much that if someone playing Shadow gets to seven power and doesn't play anything, I have to think real hard about my attacks that turn. (laughs) But then I usually come to the conclusion that if they have Unforgiven and I lose like a 5-5 to it, it doesn't matter because I was gonna lose anyway. Because taking five units out of your opponent's deck is absurd in draft. You probably only have like somewhere between seventeen and twenty units in the first place, and that takes a quarter of them at least. Yeah. Uh, and those are the only way you win the game. If you take five, it, by the time you're at seven power, the Unforgiven takes five units out of your deck. That's it. You don't have anything else that you can actually win the game with. You're done. (laughs) You better be able to do it with the cards that are already on the board because you don't have anything else. You're not going to draw anything else for the rest of the game. It's all spells and
0: weapons from here. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. This is a classic, classic limited bomb. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a limited bomb that destroys your future. Not just your present, but your entire
0: future. (laughs) I agree. So, yeah, in case you were wondering, very good card.
1: Yeah. Not too hard to play either. I mean, seven is a lot of power to come up with, but you can do it. Yeah. Number two uh, Severin of the Dark. Uh, Severin is a five seven that costs six shadow shadow. It's surge ability, which is every time an influence comes into play, uh, play a three-one piercing grief with charge, life steal, and revenge that die, that, excuse me, that dies at the end of your turn. Uh, Who, boy, uh, Severin? <laughs> Severin's real dumb. <laughs> Severin, like if you're losing and you make a Severin and then at least one Piercing Grief, well, you've gained three life, and you've put a 5-7 on the board, and you're not losing any more.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and, and it you're gets about to worse. gain three more life. Yeah, you're going to gain three more life at some point in the random future, and every time you play a Sigil after that, so hard to win against this, an of Severin. You really have to be able to kill it, and there's precious few cards that kill Severin. Uh, And if you are able to generate the piercing grief value, even if your opponent can kill Severin very soon, uh, it's still um, it's still is a lot of it's still a, a huge life swing for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's super good. I I see people sometimes playing this with prize Sal because prize Sal will like combo with Severin and then make more piercing griefs. Once the first one die, it's not necessary. None of it's necessary. <laughs> Severin takes over the game all by itself. Yes, and it's very very easy to play. Unlike a lot of the bombs on this list, uh, you can just put it in absolutely any shadow deck. Uh, and and it will be unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and that's the same thing with the Unforgiven. A little bit is like both of right, these right. are not in these like impossible to cast cycles. They're just very good cards. Yeah. yeah, just real just real
1: good cards. Very easy to just first pick over absolutely anything. Both Severn and the Unforgiven qualify there. You don't have to think about it real hard. You're just like, oh, I guess I'll just play Shadow and have this unbelievable card at my top end. Great. Great, that's a good place to be. The only problem with it is that Shadow is not powerful by itself, but of course you can play Stone Scar, which is powerful. So, yeah, you're good. Severin of the Dark.
0: All right, and then okay. number one.
1: Number one is harder to summon than Severin, but I think is the most soul-crushing rare for me personally in the format. To loot the Iron Gate. Uh, Talut costs four justice, 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 justice. That's five justices. Uh, it's a five-five. Uh, its surge ability is enemy units get minus one strength, and your relic weapon gets plus one plus one. You're not going to have a relic weapon when you when you summon this. Uh, you might, and then it's really ridiculous. But just the fact that all enemy units get minus one strength every time you play a sigil is enough to make Talut feel like the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) You have to work so hard to win once Talut is on the board. Harder than with Severin? I don't know. Severin, at least you can block the three ones if you have anything with four toughness or more. And then uh, maybe you can get back in the game eventually. Talut ends your life. Because all of your units are unable to do anything effective for the rest of the game. And if your opponent is smart and only plays Sigils when they have to uh, to, to continue to neuter your army, uh, then there's there's almost nothing you can do. You can't, like, make a flyer and then attack with that, because then Talute's going to be like, nope, now your flyer can't attack. Uh, it's brutal. It's a brutal card. Uh, the only thing that keeps it from being unbelievably unfair is the fact that it is so hard to summon. But, again, Mono Justice is a pretty good deck, and decks that are primarily Justice... Are are perfectly playable because you've got all your smuggling tinkers and your and your caravan guards and then your badges of honor that make heavy justice influence cards easier to play. Um, maybe Severin is a safer first pick because it is an easier to play card. Uh, but in terms of absolute soul crushingness, I would I would put Talut at the top confidently.
0: Yeah, yeah. The thing that kills me with Talut is. Since the minus one attack can mean you go below zero attack yeah. on the units, yeah, you can't even like combat trick your way out of. No, so, no, like, you can't. Yeah, you can't like be like oh, I can make one
1: last big push here. I can cast a victor's cry and make it a make it and do that last five damage. No, the victor's cry is going to enable your unit to do two damage. <laughs> it's not fun. Um, yeah, and also it's just sort of dismaying watching your units get negative strength over time. Yeah. Like, like, oh, they're really lost. Uh, the other yeah, thing and- about Talud is that it slows the game down to the point where maybe nobody gets to do anything. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, except you, you have a, a 4 cost 5-5 five five on board. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's true. It can attack pretty freely into an into an opposing army that doesn't have any strength. Yeah, this yeah. is also a way to remove aegis from your mm-hmm. opponent's units because it's like the one thing that makes it like if sometimes an opponent uh, a, a unit will have aegis and it's difficult to affect, but Talute can just
0: repeatedly hammer at it. Yeah, it, and the fact that justice of all we've mentioned this before of all the factions is like set up to play five justice and is very good at triggering surge. Just like this card just fits it's strong and it fits the color so well. It's just like totally backbreaking as you said.
1: Yeah. And, and also unlike siege train and severin and the unforgiven, uh, I don't. I don't think Talut has that instant, like, "Oh, I better concede now" feeling. And yet, it is it is just as strong as those. It's sort of like there's a part of you that's like, "Oh, maybe I can still do something."
0: <laughs> I know. And then your units are negative four, and you're like, "Oh, oh I guess I was wrong, and I should have yeah. conceded twenty minutes ago." <laughs>
1: Uh, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's definitely the most powerful rare in the format. But this is a ranking of how soul crushing cards are, and I feel like it deserves to be at number one.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think we definitely take that above Desert Optimist.
1: Oh, I I absolutely do. I will try to play it. Yeah, Yes. <laughs> as hard as it is to summon, uh, not that hard <laughs> if you commit. <laughs> It's all not right. hard to commit to it to leave it at the top end of your of your stupid justice deck. <laughs> no, I, I agree.
0: I agree. <laughs> so I think we're gonna end our show there. Yes. Uh, thank you, Hats, for ranking all of those uh, all those rares for us. And thank you everyone for listening to this show. And thank you, patrons, for paying to listen to the show. <laughs> and <laughs> We appreciate that. (laughs) We really appreciate that. Um, And uh, for those of you who do none of those three things, um, you could join us in our Discord and talk about Eternal if you don't want to listen to the show. Uh, There is a link in the show notes. Um, And also, you could give a thumbs up to all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. You don't need to listen to the show to do that. Um, You can just do it. And uh, don't forget to send in all your 7 wind deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming.
1: Keep on farming.
0: Have a good night.
1: Bye.